Welcome to the Independent Oxford podcast produced by Story 94 at their podcast studio here in Oxford. I'm Rosie and I'll be guiding you through inspiring indie stories from businesses across Oxfordshire to help you find out more about the shops, cafes, studios and spaces that make up our local communities. Hi, I'm Rosie from Independent Oxford and welcome to this episode of the Indie Oxford podcast. Uh, today I am joined by guest host Lindsay Einan from Start to Thrive Coaching. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. So this week uh, we will be discussing money and what it takes to be an indie business in 2022. To facilitate our conversation today, we are joined by Sarah Dennis from Mostly Books in Abingdon. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. So um, take us into the world of mostly books and your your journey so far? So I've had a bit of an interesting journey into the world of book selling. I used to work in finance. I worked in investment banking for, for 12 years doing projects in risk control, living in, working in London and then in New York. And it was all very good and very fast paced and working with lots of great people. And that was all fantastic. But I never really felt like I was doing anything that I believed in. Um, and then my dad got sick and he he died and it, and it just kind of draws your mind to focus a little bit and it made me really think about what I was doing and how I was spending my time so I decided that I was just going to quit my job with nothing to go to which was a bit of a risk but I, I at the time I couldn't really work out a life that wasn't in an office that's all I'd ever known so I was probably quite institutionalized looking back on it so I was lucky enough to have been able to take some time out so I um, quit my job put everything in storage and traveled for a while and whilst I was traveling I did this whole I, I I know it now from my my former corporate world that it was this like funneling technique where I basically went through it and eliminated the things I didn't want to do because I couldn't put my hands on what I wanted to do so I was basically getting rid of you know I didn't want to work in an office I didn't want to work for a company I didn't believe in da, 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 da. and then I basically just kept coming to the idea of people and and seeing and helping people being part of a community and face to face and I just I don't know where the bookshop idea came from apart from the fact that I love books and I always have done but I'd never made the association between loving the books and actually being able to do it for a living um, and I had a very fortuitous conversation with somebody um, who was telling me about a bookshop in just outside Edinburgh and they were telling me about it somewhere in South America sounds very glamorous but <laughs> I suppose it was um, and uh, it just they just inspired me they were like well it, it it works in our town why why couldn't it work where you are so from that point on the rest of my travels I was became obsessed with bookshops and I've got these amazing photos of bookshops from all these countries I went to and yeah I came back and to begin with I was like oh I'm gonna work for a charity for a while and, and my big sister I remember her sitting me down and saying look if you're gonna do it just just do it just go for it so I actually went back into my old industry for a a while, I think it was about 18 months, to do some contracting because I spent quite a lot of my money. <laughs> and so I had to build some money back up. Um, and originally I thought I was going to set up my own bookshop from scratch. And I was looking at lots of different locations. And then I happened to come across mostly books in Abingdon. I mean, it actually, it's not quite that straightforward. There, were, there was another shop I was looking at um, and that didn't work out for various reasons. But I ended up finding mostly books and it was perfect. And so um, the keys were officially handed over to me um, in a in a lovely celebration in Independent Bookshop Week 2017. I took ownership officially in May 2017. So it's been five years this year, which is bonkers. It's amazing. And it's just, um, and it's now this, this thriving um, community hub. It's exactly what you kind of set out to be. So is that was that kind of baked into your initial plans? It was like, this is, this is going to be, this is the purpose of the space. Yeah, I mean, 
I had no, very little experience in retail before I started working in Macy's. Boots. I did did some experience. I got some experience when I first came back. So I worked at Waterstones. I also worked at Cotswold Outdoor just to try the customer facing aspect. Um, and I realised that there's a lot. A lot of people get a lot out of coming into these spaces and and just chatting to the the, the staff. And it's not necessarily about what they're coming in to buy. It's more about just coming in and feeling part of something. Um, and so I knew I wanted that to be a big focus mostly. But what I hadn't, I think I'd really underestimated how much support we get from the local community and how we develop those relationships with our customers. Because there's people that I've known since you know, I started it mostly who I almost view as an extension of my family now. And they're, they're amazing. They're hugely supportive. But equally, they they get support from us as well. So it's, yeah, it's it's really, really important. And I feel like we we are achieving that I think the town views us as a, as a, as a hub, but we we're all, we've always got work to do, so we'll continue continue to keep working on it. And how was that initial kind of stepping into the unknown of <laughs> owning an indie business? Like, how did you cope with that that change? Because it's it's such a big mindset shift, isn't it? From being you know working a being a cog in a big corporate machine to then being yeah. When I when I started at the bank. Um, there were 85,000 employees and through the financial crisis, we lost 20,000 because we were a company that was quite badly affected by it. So there's still 65,000 employees. So I used to always compare working in the bank um, to turning a ship. So even though I, I, I actually became quite senior after a period of time and, and so I had quite a lot of influence, but still, even if I wanted to make a change, it would take months and months and months and months and so much red tape. Um, whereas, you know, I come into my business and, I mean, I think at the time there were five of us, maybe four of us. Um, and I suddenly realized, oh, goodness, if I, if I wake up one day and go, actually, I want to do this, I can just do it. Um, I found that quite intimidating to begin with, to be honest, because it was such a different way of working. And in terms of how I got used to things, I um, started out... So I, I said I took over in May 2017. I actually started working in the shop in January 2017. So we did this step transition. So the previous owners, Mark and Nicky Thornton, were really generous with their time. So I used to go in every week um, and work. I think it was every Friday I was in the shop with them. And then I gradually built those days up and gradually started to reduce my days in my contracting role. Um, so that was really, really helpful because it meant that I could learn on the job. They could teach me things that they wouldn't necessarily have thought to tell me if we were just sat in a room talking stuff through. Um, and equally, when the official handover happened, they then stuck around for another couple of months as well. So that was really, really helpful. Um, I also inherited some really, really good staff who were incredibly supportive of the fact that I was this person they didn't know from Adam and um, that they kind of just had to trust that I would continue keeping their the ethos of their business, the, the company they work for, um, in the way, the way that um, they'd been used to. But they were really helpful as well because they just taught me a load of stuff that I just had no idea about. So it was it was definitely learning on the job. Sounds mm. familiar, Lindsay, the, the steering the ship. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's an analogy I've used many times yeah. uh, coming from a corporate world as well. Was, and that's that's been a massive adjustment for me. Um, you know, this, this hierarchy of decision making is no longer there. Um, what were you doing before? So I was, I was in procurement um, for BMW. So, yeah, and it was, again... Great organisation, but slow ship to turn, um, and and getting decisions in in some cases um, 
challenging shall we say <laughs> yeah. so yeah and all of a sudden it is it's as quick as well what do you want to do yes or no mm. so what advice Sarah would you give someone sort of with the lens of finance what what advice would you give someone sort of starting out or thinking about starting out in their own business so I did an awful lot of research um both I I was lucky in the industry I'm in the Book Sales Association is hugely supportive and they actually have a course that's called something like how to start and run your own bookshop um and so I went along to that and the guy running that was really really helpful um although by his own admission the finances piece was the bit that he was just the least au fait with he was he, he was really good at kind of talking us about the practicalities of setting a business finding a location all that kind of thing um so I kind of gone into this thing thinking, okay, when I come out of this course, I'm going to know exactly how much money I need in order to be able to set up a business. And I did, didn't quite get that answer. But then I ended up talking to a lot of other booksellers. There was also really, um, I, I found it really supportive. There was some organizations, Bertram's, which no longer exists, was a wholesaler, didn't survive the pandemic, unfortunately. But there was a sales rep there that was just incredibly helpful, would give me so much of his time and just helped me kind of understand some of the magnitude of the finances. Um, and also other booksellers and the fact that I bought the shop from as a going concern. So I had the previous accounts and I had information from the previous owner. But the way that I did it was I was very, very risk averse initially. So um, I made sure that I had the money I needed to buy the business, but I also then made sure that I had enough money as a bit of a buffer. I um, didn't pay myself a salary from the shop for, I think it was a year, because um, I, I had some savings that I could use for that. And instead I used that money that I would have paid myself to basically just take a few risks in the business. And that that seemed to work quite well. But I think... I'm naturally quite a financially risk-averse person, so I always like to make sure I've got cash um, sitting there. Um, and I think that if if I didn't have that, it would have made me feel really uncomfortable. So and I know some people will um, can't do that. Some people will, will need to take finance in order to be able to set up their business. And I assumed for a long time that's what I'd need to do. But personally, it made me feel a lot more comfortable to maybe start off doing slightly less and focusing on what money I did have um, and then building it up gradually. Mm. It worked for me. Yeah, it's quite a similar similar story. And Rosie and I have talked about this in our sort of one-to-one sessions. Um, similar story for me in that I, I saved up. Um, and that was partly through necessity uh, and partly through my natural risk aversion tendencies as well. Um, and I'm I'm really in awe of people that, that do not have that privilege effectively of being able to do that and how they then go, you know, and make those financial decisions going forward. But... Yeah, this this realism part is something that Rosie and I talked about quite a lot um, and wanted to come out in this podcast about how, not wanting to be down about the whole thing, but how tough it can be, certainly in the first couple of years in terms of, so salary, for example, I've, I've just paid myself um, £1,200 and that's, that's, you know, 18 months worth of work. Um, that's my first you know, financial take out of the business. Um, and I think having this realism of of being able to know that that's a likelihood for people and plan ahead for that is actually quite important because that, that kind of needs to be factored in, I think, to the financial um, sums mm. effectively that you're doing in terms of, you know, how much how much outlay must I must I have, you know, in terms of everyone, you know, mortgage, rent, whatever it is. And then realistically, you know, what exactly do I want to be taking in salary and then looking at scenarios and in my case worst case scenarios of okay you're not going to make any money for x period of time so yeah absolutely and um 
I remember having this conversation with my brother-in-law just before I started to pay myself. And I was like, oh, I might be able to pay myself this month. <laughs> and he said to me, um, he said, well, it's good you're going to pay yourself because it's otherwise it's like you're playing having a bookshop. And I was like, it wasn't quite like that. You know, tried to explain to somebody who hadn't set it up themselves the fact that, um, you know, you have to take that into consideration. And it's, it's, it's just part of the process. Also, I did, when I started paying myself, I started paying myself quite significantly lower amount of money than I would have liked to have been taken mm -hmm. out of the business. I've fortunately been able to give myself a little bit more recently, which has been really nice. But it's just understanding that you've got to make those lifestyle changes. That was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's really important as well. I think, I mean, I, I did exactly the same. I saved up before I um, quit my job and then started on the, the indie journey. Um, and just having that buffer because I, I, I think I'm the same, like, it's that kind of risk averse. It's <laughs> <laughs> a consistent theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, it was so important. I think also like going into the pandemic, knowing, so that must have been a big thing for you to know that you've, you know, that you've got a bit of a buffer. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic, I'll, I'll never forget the day they announced the furlough scheme. I was so relieved because um, at that point, again, again, I think there were six of us. Like, it, It's all a bit blurry in terms of, timings and people because it was just such a strange time but I do remember hugging one of my colleagues frantically when they announced the furlough scheme because I was like that actually means that if I can't if I don't have the work for my team to do they're not going to lose their jobs which was really important to me because that was just such a, a bonkers time wasn't it I just I remember the shop being so busy for like two or three weeks before lockdown it seemed everyone was everyone decided they were going to be reading loads of books during lockdown so it was like christmas for us so um that was that was great great couple of weeks and then you know the door shut and i had no idea what was going to happen supply chain completely froze um didn't know if the customers were going to be coming out to support us it was pretty terrifying but it turned out okay so yeah so after that kind of initial oh god what's going to happen then everything started so what up. happened was we'd we had a website for marketing purposes but we'd never use it for transactions apart from our book subscription service we always thought it was a waste of time because we can't price we can't compete from a price standpoint with amazon or indeed waterstones or blackwells um so we just didn't think people would use a website um but obviously we realized we had to have some shopfront and that was the obvious thing to do um we were lucky that because we had a gift subscription service on the website the functionality was already there. So we just had to find a way to get our products onto the site. So we did that within three days of, of the um, business closing. Uh, and then it was just getting people used to the fact that that's where they needed to go. Um, but we also, I also made sure that the team had quite a clear structure. So there was me and one other um, woman, Imogen, were in the shop every day. And then my colleague, Lindsay, was basically cycling around <laughs> Oxfordshire delivering books for us. And the rest of the team were on furlough. Um, but we were quite stretched in our day. So we had our normal working hours, nine to five. We were in the shop um, answering the phone and responding to emails. And we estimated it took about four times as long to process a single order than it was would under normal circumstances. Um, and there were times when it was incredibly stressful. Because like I say, the, the supply chain completely froze. Our main suppliers both stopped um, sending books to us. I think it was the first week of April that stopped. And then one of them reopened within a couple of days, but they, instead of sending them to bookshops, they were willing to send books to individuals' houses. However, they would only send one book per package because they were getting them all packaged automatically because they were running at such a skeleton staff in their, um, in their warehouse. So we had the choice. Um, we could either get the books through them, which would come quite quickly. But let's say, for example, you wanted three books, you'd have to charge 
you'd have to pay three lots of postage, which obviously wasn't great from a um, from a marketing standpoint. But um, we also had publishers that were willing to send stuff to us directly. But normally that would take be a week because they're slightly they take slightly longer than our main suppliers. Um, and it was taking them a month to six weeks. So it was saying to people, okay, right, we can get you this book. <laughs> we can get you this, or we can get these two books, but you either have to pay over the odds or you have to wait a month or six weeks. And fortunately, our customers were just amazing and they, they totally understood that we were doing everything we could. Um, and I think it felt like a really, really long time when we didn't have our main supplier gardeners um, sending books to the shop. But I think when I went back and looked at it, I think it was only a month, maybe six weeks, but it was... I remember the first day we got our first lot of boxes back into the shop. I mean, I've got this photo of me just like grabbing boxes. Just, oh, I'm so happy. But um, because as soon as that happened, regardless of whether our doors were open, we could go back to providing the level of customer service we'd always wanted to. So it was, um, yeah, very, you know, that expression, the new normal, which I think all of us kept saying. But I, I don't know how many variations of that we went through in the shop. Because every time we thought we got our process in place that was dealing with the, the the current situation then something else changed so we had to redesign everything again but the team were amazing they're really responsive to the changes I put in place and, and we all just kind of came together so and do you think it's made you kind of like alter your how you do it kind of financial planning or um how you've are there any kind of systems that are the legacy of that time? Oh, there's an awful lot, I think, that we've taken out of it. But, I mean, I always had a bit of a buffer within the business, but my buffer's bigger now, just <laughs> because I think that it's really highlighted mm. how important it is to, to be able to kind of prepare for the unexpected, I guess. Um, but also just understanding as well that as a business, you have to be able to adapt to whatever the situation is. I think that's that was one of the biggest lessons. Mm. It's having that resilience, isn't it? I think that there's. I think one of the things I've learned as well is this this point around. Certainly, when I started out, there's you know there's just no money. Um, there's no there's no income. In my situation, no income. Um, and so you you become very precious about what cash is around you, um, and you really. And I think to a certain extent, that's really useful. You you should be cautious about, you know, what am I investing my money in and my time, um, you know, and is it absolutely necessary? But one of the lessons that I, I learned, maybe the harder way, was that you do need to invest, you do need to spend money. I was I was perhaps holding on to money a little bit too tightly because you don't know when the next, you know, where the next lot is coming from. But, but I learned that to bring in the people that you need, the expertise that you need, uh, recognising that I can't do everything myself to the level that I would want to. Um, you know, you are actually benefiting the business and the longevity of the business by spending. Uh, and that's something that I'm still, it's still something I'm working with in my head as, sort of, you know, yes, again, you know, every now and again, you're going to have to get the credit card out. Uh, or I should say debit card, actually, in my case. <laughs> um, and you have to invest for, you know, for the sustainability almost of your of it it's yeah it's one I'm still processing <laughs> yeah no it is I, I totally understand that I think when I first started out I was like well I can I can do anything I can you know I can make my website look really 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 professional I can make you know the marketing side of my business look fantastic and and then you suddenly realize actually that might not necessarily be your skill set and therefore you might have to like you say pay someone to bring it in one thing that also I found really interesting is working in finance. I mean, I was working in risk control. I was in the back office. So I wasn't dealing with the kind of the crazy big money that you hear about in investment banking, but it's a wealthy industry. What was very 
interesting for me was getting my head around what's a lot of money. And that sounds really silly, but like the people I was working with, had, there were quite a lot of people that had quite a lot of money. So they wouldn't think twice about spending what I think of as crazy amounts of money on a meal out or, you know, some new shoes or, and, and getting my head around the fact that actually what they were spending was really a lot. Therefore, if I spent a fraction of that, then that was probably a reasonable amount rather, you know, my, 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 I guess my understanding of, of where my spending should sit had to take a bit of adjusting. Um, and, that, that sounds like a really strange thing to say, but I think having been in the, I mean, I went into the industry, I did my internship when I was still at university and then that's all I knew as an adult. So it was almost like I had to relearn the value of money, which was quite a challenge. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. And it's something that I did when I um, started my business was because I was paying myself so little compared to what I was earning before, um, and that actually kind of going going through all of your personal finance, I think it's I think it's something that everybody should do personally, because I think it's such a good exercise of being like, do I really need that? Is this just really wasteful spending? And it, and it creates a more I think creates a healthier mindset around money. And it helps you, I think, think about the sustainability of your business. And um, just, yeah, I think I think it's just a really, really healthy thing to do whether you're a business owner or not I think it's I think it's a good place to be and when you're kind of forced into that because you're forced into that situation when you're starting a business because you're having to kind of reassess what your spending is um it's really it's yeah I think it's really valuable and I think that having come from a, a bigger business and you're dealing with like millions of pounds to suddenly being like okay I've got to get to the 300 pound minimum order yeah. spend. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it was a real adjustment, and and like what you said about um, adjusting your your salary as well was was really interesting because I've spoken to a lot of my friends and, and former colleagues about this. A lot of people they just genuinely couldn't get their head around the fact that what I was going to be paying myself. I think it was comparable, might have even been slightly less than what I started out as a graduate. In my, my graduate salary and I've been working in the industry for 12 years so you know people just couldn't get their head around the fact that I could make that adjustment but you know yes there were, I did a bit of an extreme thing by because by going away and I backpacked and I stayed in hostels so I kind of went from the point where I was living a great life with, in a big city with you know lots of expensive things around me to then going to a point where I was living out of a backpack for a year so that was kind of a good way of resetting things because I was like okay so actually then you kind of go the opposite way and you're like well I don't want to spend more than five pounds for my accommodation tonight um <laughs> so coming back here was 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 quite a nice balance but it, it it is definitely something you have to take into consideration and it's definitely it's not something that will happen overnight not by any stretch of the imagination I think it takes a lot of a lot of getting your head around it mm. and I think there's just so there's so much spending well I felt like I was spending and not even thinking about it. Whereas now, everything I buy, I think about. Yeah. And I, I think it also kind of plays into just a kind of healthier um, way of living. You know, it's more environmentally friendly to think. It's just that kind of conscious consumerism, I think, that so many more of us are thinking about. And for me, that was the kind of jumping off point. I think I think as well, it underlines the fact that because, I mean, I'm, I'm conscious that we're, we're talking about this and and again, this realism word pops into my head because I want to be real for people uh, who are either starting out or thinking of starting out. But I think it also underlines that you need to be passionate about what it is you're doing because it is 
it's financially a very different situation to start with. I really recognise the, you know, I used to, used to be in a role where the salary was such that I didn't have to think about what I, you know, if I wanted it, I bought it. Yeah. Uh, if I wanted to go on holiday, I went on holiday. Um, it was a very um, privileged place to be. And, and now I have to be, as you said, Rosie, much more considerate about do I need this? You know, is it necessary, et cetera? So you need that passion, I think, for what it is that you're doing um, so that you've, you've you've got the why, you've got the drive for the days when you, you know, you look at the, the nice meal out and you think, mm, not this week. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I remember having a conversation with, he's a really good friend of mine um, that I met in the States and he'd been in academia for a long time and then he moved into the industry. So he'd kind of gone the opposite way and he was he loved his job and he couldn't imagine doing anything else and he couldn't get his head around the fact that I felt unfulfilled by my job um and I said to him I just felt I remember saying I feel like I need to do something that benefits society and makes me feel better um and his response was well why don't you volunteer at the weekend so at that point I was probably working a 60 65 hour maybe 70 hour week and I was like so wait a minute so you're suggesting I work a 60 70 hour week in a job that I hate and then I take a day of my weekend out to volunteer <laughs> to make myself feel better I mean surely it just makes more sense to find a job that actually gives me that satisfaction but he couldn't and he just couldn't get his head around the fact that I was willing to walk away from all of the material side of things um in order to kind of get that nice feeling inside and god I haven't looked back I mean it's you know <laughs> it's night and day but it's it's just really interesting how different people think about it so I'm curious, what um, what should someone looking to start a business, what do they need to understand about whether their idea might be financially viable? So obviously talking from my experience, the big thing that I spent a lot of time thinking about is, okay, I know what kind of business I want to run. I had the kind of vision in my head of, of what the shop would look like and um, and what kind of community it would sit in. So I spent a lot of time looking around different places in the UK, at other businesses that kind of had that model and seeing what where they worked and where they didn't. Because re one of the reasons I didn't think that having an independent bookshop was a viable was because when I was living in the cities, um, obviously now I know there are independent bookshops in cities, but there's just so many more shops around. Um, it felt like, it felt to me that there weren't really that many independent bookshops around. Therefore, that kind of said to me, okay, well, it's probably going to make more sense to be doing it in a town environment rather than a city. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, I did actually look at Bristol at one point and I was going to set up there. And um, at the time, there weren't any independent bookshops and there's now, I think, four there. So they they clearly can work. But it just, to me, I, I felt like I had to kind of take find a business that I thought looked like it was doing the kind of thing I wanted to do and almost emulate it. So um, it's... And it's that research thing again. I mean, what I found, the book trade is a really wonderful giving industry. Um, people are very willing to give their time and talk about their experience and just kind of share that with you. So I found that incredibly helpful, just getting an understanding of other people's experiences. Um, I also, <laughs> I have a book called um you know do you know the wiley series like the dummies series yeah, yeah it's called starting and running a business for dummies um <laughs> which i still have in my office people come in and like mm. <laughs> and it gives people so much faith when they see that in my office but that was actually a really really helpful book it was six individual books individual wiley books in one and it had loads of information that i just wouldn't have even thought about i mean it's just it's research isn't it that's that's the key i think the simple word 
Agreed. Planning ahead. Mm -hmm. At least in part, in my case. (laughs) You can't plan for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the fun? You need need the odd curveball to keep you on your toes, I think. So So as somebody that's uh, risk-averse, how do you... How do you cope with being uncomfortable? So like at the beginning of the pandemic, when you suddenly got all this uncertainty or even, you know, the beginning of running a business or even now, you know, there's all, there's always new things that are coming at you. What are your kind of tips for, for dealing with that being on that slight kind of cusp of not necessarily having control of everything that's going to happen to the business? <laughs> at any point in time. Yeah. Um, for me, when I think about the pandemic, it was about breaking it down into small pieces and going, right, okay, there's a whole lot of stuff here going on that I can't control. What can I control and what are my priorities? Um, I have this mantra that I say to my team all the time, and this, again, is my little corporate world, but effort versus output. This is one of the things that they all say it now. It's really funny. Whenever we talk about whether they're going to do something, they're like, well, we need to look at the effort versus the output. Um, because it's it's that whole thing about, is it worth our time? Is it worth our time? And are we going to get enough out of it? So I do, I do like to break things down. I bounce... Um, ideas around with my team and also friends and family but I'm very lucky that I have a really um a team with a, a really strong varied sense a set of skills not just at Macy but I bought another shop um in lockdown <laughs> another shop in in Star in the World called the Borzoi Bookshop and I've got um, a great couple of got a great team there as well so I use them a lot because that whole thing about that we referred to earlier on about not necessarily be able to do everything yourself so kind of surrounding myself with the people that can do the things that I'm maybe not quite so good at. Um, so yeah, it's it's about uh, it's also about trying not to do too much in one day, which is hilarious because there's always like seven times more, seven times things that the, the the amount of things that I need to be doing that I never quite get to prioritization as well. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think, Lindsay, with your coaching hat on? How do you I how do you sit with discomfort? Yeah, I think it's practice actually. Um, so I'm you know come from a background personally where I don't like being uncomfortable humans generally don't like being uncomfortable um so we push quite hard I think to get out of discomfort as quickly as possible um and what I try with my clients now is to sort of practice sitting in it and with it and recognizing that it's it's usually somewhere where we're learning um there's usually um we're we're uncomfortable normally because it's new Uh, And if you're going to start a business, then, you know, you need to understand this realism again, that you are going to be uncomfortable and there's going to be discomfort um, a lot of the time. So getting practice with what that feels like, recognising that it's not permanent, that it's going to move, you know, even just nuance, you know, from day to day. Um, Yeah. And just learning to sit with it, I think. And uh, in my case, you were talking about the, the people that you surround yourself with. Um, and this risk aversion part, um, what I found useful is find someone who's not. Uh, I'm really lucky that my husband is not risk averse. He's actually quite pro-risk. He's, he practically lies down. He's so relaxed about stuff. <laughs> um, it really helps having somebody else when you're having a bit of a <gasps> moment, you know, for someone else to go, ah, you know, it's OK. Yeah. Um, so just having that sounding board and you know coming back to this topic of who's in your network and who are you using to support you um i would say find someone who's who's got that even who's just someone who's removed from the situation they're not going to see it in the same way so having a good you know rant with somebody is often helpful but recognize it's going to be there um learn to learn to yeah accept it i think it's 
when I look back on my career, even though I worked for the same company for 12 years, I, I think I stayed in the job for a maximum of two and a half years at any point. I kept changing roles. So I have a real history of having this period of time where things are really stressful and really unknown and bonkers. And then things kind of calm down. And then at that point, I get a little bit like... I think I need to go and do something else, which is ridiculous. There's this constant cycle of feeling quite stressed and slightly less and then stressed again. So I just I just think that, you know, you kind of almost have to like funnel that energy and use it in a way that, that helps. It shows it is a skill set, though. It's back to this, you know, it, it, you can you can learn to navigate it. Um, but the only way that you will learn to navigate it is if you are prepared to lean into it and explore it. Um, I, I sort of said that my whole business venture has been an experiment. That's how I gave myself permission to sort of get into it because it didn't need to be forever. Um, it didn't even need to be successful. Um, I, you know, I just went into it the right, I want to do it. I'll try it, fly by the seat of my pants a little bit and play with it. And, and if you, if you think if you can put yourself in a slightly different perspective to your natural one and, and approach something with more playfulness, um, that helps as well. It certainly helped me personally. Yeah, and I think it's that whole thing as well about thinking about the worst case scenario as well. I mean, one of my colleagues always says that if anything goes wrong, she's like, well, you know, it's okay. Like nobody died. We just didn't sell the book. You know, it's okay. <laughs> and it is so true. And that was a big thing for me when I was making the decision about the shop is like, okay, so I've made a decision. I'm going to save some money. I'm okay if that money, obviously I want that money to, prosper and I wanted my business to succeed but what's the worst case I lose that money and then I have to go and find myself a job I could probably do that so once you get your head around that then it's like so it's getting your head around what your lowest like your worst case scenario is and then and and just accepting it so mm. well that's such a good tip and I think yeah it's it's so important isn't it for for being able to be in this space yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what, what are your plans for for this year at Mostly Books Keeping on, keeping on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, it, it's interesting because obviously with lockdown, we stopped doing quite a lot of our business. So we really went back to the basics of book selling, which in some ways was really lovely um, because it, it reminded me why I started out doing it to begin with. We were doing a lot of events before lockdown. I think I worked out it was something... It was something bonkers, like 70-odd events we did in 2019. And that includes school events in the shop, big theatre events. We did we did a lot of different things. And looking back on it, I think we were doing too many. Um, so this has given us a bit of a pause to go, right, what do we actually want to do? What do we want the business to look like? And, and what's the purpose of us doing these things? And some of them are obviously about us getting, you know, building the business up, making money. Others are more community-led. So there's lots of different things we do. But um, we're definitely going back into that a little bit, but at a much, much kind of more controlled level. So we're doing quite a bit with schools, which is always something I absolutely love to do. Um, we're just working on this project with a, a local school. They've asked, they've they've pulled us in to basically help sort out a load of their program over this summer. They've got they do a summer school, and they want us to set up a load of events with um, authors and with you know, publishers and so on, which will be really fun. Um, and yeah, we've got we've got um, projects that we do within the shop ourselves. So we've got our book subscription. We've got our Cozy Club, which is our book club, which has gone a bit bonkers during lockdown. We've got our own podcast. So we've got all these other projects that we, we're doing. Um, and yeah, just building those events back up. So enough to keep us busy, I think. Exciting. So if people want to find out more about Mostly Books, where can they find you online? So our website is mostly-books.co.uk. And that's got some information about the shop, but it's also got our, all of our online shop as well. And we're on 
all of the social media platforms. So we have a range of social media handles. Um, so for Twitter, it's mostly reading because somebody in America has got mostly books. Pesky, mostly books in America. Um, Instagram is mostly books underscore shop and Facebook is mostly books Abingdon. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Sarah. It's been it's been great to see you. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to the Infinite Oxford podcast sponsored by Story94. You can find out more about our community at independentoxford.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to help more people hear indie stories from across Oxfordshire. Bye for now.